Welcome to the 141st episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions and a look at recent games in the NBA playoffs. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Starting in the NBA, Patrick went 2-2 two and two with his weekend predictions, and in Major League Baseball, Patrick went 3-1 and one in his weekend series predictions, which brings him to a 401 and 274 overall record with his predictions, a 59.4% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your predictions? Well, I thought I did a uh, decent job this week. Uh, in the NBA, I got the Grizzlies game right. Uh, I did not get the Jazz game three right. I thought they would win that first game at home before Luka came back. They did not. Uh, it looks like the Grizzlies weren't going to win that game multiple times, though. They came back from 20-point deficits twice. We already talked about this on the last podcast, so I won't go too in-depth into it. Uh, and then I got the Bucks game right. The Bucks just demolished the Bulls. And, uh, well, I thought the Nets were going to win at least one game in this series. But uh, as we now know, uh, as of tonight, they didn't end up winning any. But I had them winning that one game that I thought uh, at least would be in Game 3. Uh, their first game back at home. And then we thought they might get Ben Simmons back in Game 4, and he might help them. And then all of a sudden, no Ben Simmons, no Game 3 win, no Game 4 win, and they got swept. And uh, we'll talk about that one later uh, in way more detail. But moving on to the MLB, uh, the Rays took 2 of 3 from the Red Sox. The Yankees swept the Guardians. The Blue Jays took 2 of 3 from the Astros. And the Brewers took 2 of 3 from the Phillies, which I picked all right, other than the Brewers series, although... I'm somewhat upset, not a, not too much upset. Fun fact, this series should have been me picking the Dodgers to beat the Padres, but for some reason, I just kind of forgot that the series was available for me to pick. I think the Dodgers' off day on Thursday threw me off. I must have thought that it was Friday. I don't really know what I was thinking, but I was, I was thinking about predicting that all week long, and then somehow it's the one prediction I didn't end up including. And while I was struggling to find another series, I was like, eh, I'll just do the Brewers and the Phillies and pick a fun upset because why not? And then, uh, well, if the Phillies could manage one run on Sunday, then I actually would have gotten that right, even though it would have been a massive upset technically by early season records and even probably by most people's power rankings and preseason uh, uh, views of those teams, including my own. Uh, but overall, 5-3, and three, pretty good week, and uh, I did my goal, which was get to 400 wins before getting to 275 losses, uh, and I achieved that by the slimmest of margins. All right. Well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted, as always, on our website on Thursdays. Let's move off of Patrick's predictions and turn our attention once again to the NBA playoffs, where we start in the Eastern Conference. And we'll start with the number four seeded Philadelphia 76ers, leading the number five Toronto Raptors now three games to two. Although a sharp turn in the series is actually... Last time we checked, or last time we talked about it, Philly was actually up 3 to nothing in the series. Toronto took Game 4 at home and Game 5 on the road, uh, winning Game 4 110-102. to 102. Uh, The interesting thing about this game was that Fred Van Vliet got injured in the middle of the game, was only able to play a total of 15 minutes for the whole game, and uh, even Kem Birch as a starter only played 6 minutes. That was more of a coach's decision kind of a thing, but... Thaddeus Young pitched in with 30 quality minutes of his own. He was plus 14 off the bench uh, with 13 points. 
five rebounds and five assists and also even three steals. And, uh, yeah, that plus 14 was very important. He even had a highlight play where uh, he broke Joel Embiid's ankles, uh, even though that was figurative. Obviously, Joel Embiid actually is dealing with an injury, though, with his thumb injury. Uh, but, look, Chris Boucher was also plus 13 off the bench. Precious Achua was plus 10 off the bench. So, look, everybody on the Raptors played a pretty good game. Uh, and they they pitched in for Freddie, who was not able to continue playing. Uh, Pascal Siakam played 44 minutes, had 34 points, 8 rebounds, and 5 assists. Uh, he was aggressive in this game, and w- when he outscores Joel Embiid, it'll give the Raptors a huge chance to win any of those games. And uh, as we move on to Game 5, I guess it would be a good time to do that. But actually, probably not. I, have to, I only mentioned like two guys on the Raptors. Uh, Gary Trent also pitched in with 24 points. And on the Philly side of things, as I said, Joel Embiid did get outscored by Pascal Siakam. Uh, Joel had 21-8-3 on 7-16 shooting. Tobias Harris was the most efficient shooter, uh, shooting 7-12 of 12 with 15 points and 11 rebounds. So a really good game for Tobias Harris, who's really seemed to find, find himself uh, this postseason after, you know, kind of struggling a little bit in the last few postseasons and maybe Philly fans not being so happy with him. But they've needed him as a third or even a fourth now this year with Tyrese Maxey's scoring option. Uh, and now it seems like he's finally grown in that role well, and he's playing it very well in the postseason for them. Uh, but besides him, Danny Green was 2 of 10 from the field, 6 points, 3 rebounds, 2 assists, not much there. Embiid, uh, as I said, definitely not his MVP-level numbers. Harden had 22 points, but 11, 10 of those 22 came from the free-throw line, 5 of 17 from the field on 2 of 8 from 3. Tyrese Maxey was 4 of 12 from the field uh, and only had 11 points, so... While he did get uh, six rebounds and six assists to go along with that, and Harden had nine assists with his 22 points, it's not efficient enough, and uh, it's just not going to work. The one thing that uh, they can take from this game, though, is that Harden got three blocks in this game, so his defense has been improving, and he's been playing with a lot of effort on the defensive end. One of the main criticisms of him, obviously, is poor defense, but this postseason, he seemed to kind of clean that up, and that's definitely a positive for them going forward. But let's move on to game two in that series where Toronto won again, 103-88, to this time... Game 5. Game 5, sorry. Uh, this time, no no Fred Van Vliet the whole game. He didn't just get injured in the middle of the game. Uh, and look, Pascal Siakam again, 44 minutes, outscored Joel Embiid again. Joel Embiid in this game had 20-11 and 11 on 7-15 of 15 shooting. Siakam had 23 on 10-17 shooting, along with 10 rebounds and 7 assists. So a very good game for him. Gary Trent had 16, OG Ananobi had 16, Scotty Barnes had 12 after, I believe, actually not even playing in that other game before that. Or maybe he did play game four. I know he didn't play game two or three. Uh, and then Thaddeus Young had 16 minutes off the bench. No, not necessarily the same scoring output, but Precious Achua picked it up off the bench with 27 minutes and uh, 17 points for him and seven rebounds. And look, the Raptors don't use their bench very much at all, so... Seeing them actually utilize their bench and have those guys off the bench playing so well it is a pleasant surprise for them. It's something that you don't see often, and when it happens, it, it helps the Raptors become a better team. They're not a deep team, uh, and th- this production that they're getting off the bench in these last few games, especially from Thaddeus Young and Precious Achua, is really helping them stay in the series, and it's probably the main reason they're still in the series while they're also dealing with the injuries to Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Vliet. They need these kinds of guys to step up off the bench, and they're doing a pretty good job of that so far. Yeah, I think we all thought this series was over. Uh, it's still in Philadelphia's hands. 
Um, they've got to go on the road, though, right? And win a game six. And I think I think this series is going to be... I, I think I shouldn't have changed my predictions. I think at this point, Toronto's got all the momentum in the world. I feel like, they're, I feel like they just have to win game six at home. I, I still do think that Philly's going to pull it out in game seven uh, when they're at home. But I do believe that game six is Toronto's to take. And then it's really just a toss-up from there. But I think that toss-up game does definitely favor... Uh, the 76ers, well, so that's the argument to gonna, stick with. We were going to test your theory. You were you were hedging about whether Harden could win in Game 7 if it went to Game 7, whether Philly could could pull it out at home, but I think you... Uh, I we'll see. He, he'll have to be the catalyst in that game, though, I will yeah. say. They do need someone that's not Tobias Harris to just shoot a little uh, pretty efficiently on not volume shooting. They need someone besides Embiid. I think he'll show up. I think, you know, he's had some rough patches in the last two games of this series, but when he shows up again, and he will... Uh, then they just need one more guy besides Tobias Harris. And, you know, you really need three main scores and then all your other guys to just do their part and play good defense, and that's that's all you need. And I think Harden definitely needs to be that guy to be the second guy that day, uh, and that'll be what allows Philly to win the series. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if Toronto can win four in a row. That's a tall order. All right, let's move on to the uh, number one seed of Miami Heat who lead the number eight seed Atlanta Hawks three games to one. Well, this series easily could be over. Only a one-point margin to decide the one game where the Hawks won. They won that game, that game being Game 3, 111-110. to 110. Uh, This game obviously had the game winner by Trey Young, but at the same time, Jimmy Butler taking, I would argue, a pretty ill-advised shot, I think is probably the word for it. Paul George would tell you that's a bad shot, uh, but maybe not, and Jimmy Butler just, you know, not normally a three-point shooter, so it was a little bit of an odd shot. Fun fact about this game, uh, every single starter on the Heat was plus in plus-minus, except for Jimmy Butler, who was minus one, while every other starter was plus 11 or better. That also shows you why plus-minus is not necessarily uh, the biggest stat to decide impact of a player, because Tyler Hero was also negative 21, even though he had 24 points on 22 shooting, so... Don't take plus minus is the only yeah, could be uh, the stat you can use. It could be somebody who's who, the but, other guy not guarding somebody, and you get negative for it. Exactly. That, that's why it's not always reliable. I would argue that their their starting lineup did a great job. And also, you play 41 minutes. It's the guys who play the most minutes who kind of get, get some issues with that. Uh, but look, everybody on the Heat played decently this game. They played well enough to win. They just didn't play quite well enough on defense and right at the final possession couldn't get their shot to fall, or I guess the second-to-last possession for the Heat. Couldn't get their last shot to fall. Trey Young got the floater to, to drop, uh, and then that was the end of it for the Heat. They drew up a play but couldn't score off of it. Uh, very important for the Hawks is that they finally got production from Bogdan Bogdanovich, who had 18 points off the bench, uh, and Trey Young had 24 points on 6-14 shooting, uh, also eight, rebound, 8 assists and 4 rebounds, but... Fun fact about this series that's maybe not so fun for Hawks fans. Kevin Knox has outscored Trey Young two games of the four games in the series despite only playing nine minutes total. Uh, In these games that have been blowouts, he has come in and somehow put up better numbers than Trey, which just tells you when the Heat are defending well, they are really, really hard to beat. In game four, Trey Young, I think this is definitely accurate, was a minus 27 in plus minus, 3 of 11 from the floor, only took 1-2 the whole game, only shot one free throw, 9 points, 5 assists, and when I talk about Kevin Knox, I'm not even joking, 12 points, 4 of 6 in 4 minutes. 
somehow outscored Trey Young in that game, and also I believe outscored him in game one. They lost that fifth, that fourth game, as I'll now move on to, 110 to 86. Uh, I talked about the Hawks side of things. Uh, Clint Capella did play in this game, which was good news for the Hawks, and now John Collins and Clint Capella playing, so now they have their full starting roster again, uh, but still wasn't good enough to help them. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich was 1 for 6 from the floor. Trey Young was 3 for 11. Even Clint Capella was only 1 for 4, didn't even get to the free throw line. Uh, Kevin Herter was 1 of 7. Other than John Collins and DeAndre Hunter, no one really played that well on the Hawks. Uh, Twenty, I mean, 86 points as a team, so it's kind of hard for that to happen. But look, Hunter had 24 points on 4 of 6 from 3 and 9 of 13 total, and John Collins had 11 points on 4 of 8 shooting. And then, as I mentioned, Kevin Knox was the only other guy uh, in double figures. Uh, and look, it, it just wasn't a good game for them. Uh, and then you have the Heat, who every single starter had at least double-digit points, uh, and that really helped them win. I mean, they just had very balanced scoring. Jimmy Butler had 36 points in Game 4 on 12 of 21 shooting and got to the free throw line 12 times uh, and added on 10, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, and 4 steals to go along with all of that. Uh, PJ, but P.J. Tucker had 14-8. Bam Adebayo had 14-8. Gabe Vincent had 11-4-3. And, and Max Struess had 12-5-3. So overall, just really, really balanced production uh, from those guys for the Heat. And look, they only needed nine minutes off the bench from Duncan Robinson. Tyler Hero only had to play 21 minutes. Jimmy Butler played 36, but no one else played. Uh, Jimmy Butler and Max Struess, I should say, played 36 minutes. But... Everybody else played 30 or less, and that's really good for the Heat going forward because now they get to go back home while being rested with all the momentum and the better team. The Heat are closing this out in five, as I predicted at the beginning of the series. Yeah, this series is over. Should have been over. Going to be over. Let's move on to another series that is over. Number two-seeded bo- Boston Celtics swept the number seven-seeded Brooklyn Nets. My upset pick goes down the drain. Four games to zero. Yeah, that upset pick went down the drain very, very quickly. But uh, look... Boston has been the best team since mid to late January in the NBA. It isn't a surprise that they beat the team who traded a player uh, who was playing okay but had some terrible games for a guy who never ended up playing a game this year. It's not surprising that that guy, since they traded one of the big three and ended up with a dude who didn't play, that obviously being Ben Simmons, it's not really surprising that the Nets flamed out so early. However, the fashion in which they did and how they're how their big two ended up playing in those games. It's just not what you expected. Bruce Brown outscored Kevin Durant in game three, which no offense to Bruce Brown, but that should never happen. He took nearly double the shots he did. Bruce Brown took 10, was 10 of 19, so efficient, uh, but 26 points. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving both had 16 combined for 32. Meanwhile, Jason Tatum on his own outscored Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant combined in a pivotal, pivotal Game 3, because look, I think this was the make-or-break game for the Nets. You can't go down 3 nothing and win in the NBA. I think it literally is impossible. I don't know if it's ever happened before. Uh, but look, th- you just can't let that happen. And they went back home, and they were supposed to defend their home court, and Boston just didn't let them. Specifically, Jason Tatum with 39 points, 6 assists, 5 rebounds, and 6 steals, too. So really, the one thing that's the constant with the Celtics is that they don't have stars that just get their 30 points and, you know, just kind of be, they're just kind of average defenders. They have way above average defenders. They do their job. Jason Tatum with the six steals in this game. 
Marcus Smart, obviously Defensive Player of the Year now. Then you have Jalen Brown, who had two steals himself. So look, their two stars play defense, uh, and that's the that's what really separates them from a lot of other teams. They play defense, and they play it very, very well, and they even get a lot of points off of it. But you have Kevin Durant, who shot 60 on 16 points, 6 of 11 shooting. It's just not enough shots for him. Kyrie was 6 of 17 with the same amount of points, but at least he took more shots. At least he was trying to be assertive on the game. Uh, Kevin Durant just didn't really have it in him. It was weird because that's normally what that's normally exactly what he does. He's normally very, very assertive uh, and is always taking enough shots that if they if he's missing his shots, the game's going to be on him. And if he's making his shots, his team is going to win because of him. But this series was an anomaly, and it, it, it did not end up being that way. Uh, and then in the final game, Kevin Durant did take a lot more shots, ended up 13 of 31. So not great, but not bad either. He had 39 points. Uh, Jason Tatum had 29 points had 29 points in this game, but also fouled out at the very end of the game. Uh, so not necessarily his best game, uh, but overall pretty good. Uh, Jalen Brown had 22 points, had 23 in the last game. And Marcus Smart had 20 points with some very, very crucial buckets at the end of the game after Jason Tatum fouled out. And the other thing that happened in these two games is that while the Nets were speculating about maybe bringing Ben Simmons back, the Celtics brought back Robert Williams, who I said, they're my finals pick if he's healthy. I didn't know how healthy he was going to be. He was supposed to be out for the entire series and at best get back in game five or play very, very limited minutes in game four. He played limited minutes, but he played in game three and in game four, helped them out a lot with their big man rotation, uh, kept some guys out of foul trouble. And in the end, Celtics came out the winners in the series. Kevin Durant ended with a bang, but he also ended with a loss. So I don't think it matters much. And also, you can talk a lot about coaching uh, for these teams, but or, or especially for the Nets. You talk about Ime Adoka as possibly a coach of the year candidate, and definitely the Nets as, what is Steve Nash doing? Look, you, you beat a record by Shaq, and it has to be positive, right? Uh, wrong. Nick Claxton today... Broke Shaq's record for most missed free throws in a row to start a game, going 0 for 9 to start game 4, breaking Shaq's record, which was 0 of 8 in the 2006 playoff game. He was 4 of 22 from the line in the series. Uh, look, if that's going to happen from the big man that you're relying on the most, it just doesn't... It's probably not going to work out for you. That's the guy you're relying on the most. Blake Griffin was drawing charges, basically fouled out Jason Tatum out of the game. I mean, I won't say single-handedly, but was definitely the key contributor in that factor. So, look, I don't know why Nick Claxton continued to play. I mean, I do know why, because he was 6 of 6 from the field with 13 points. But the free throw shooting just killed him throughout the entire series, and Boston even had the option to hack him if they wanted to. They didn't even need to do it. Uh, they played well the whole series. They closed it out. They're looking like the big, like the big, they're, they and the Warriors, I should say, are really looking like the two teams to beat in either conference, while Memphis struggles with Minnesota and Phoenix struggles with New Orleans and also with injuries. The top two seeds in that, in that conference, other than the Warriors, they don't look great. Uh, I wouldn't, I, I mean, you could say the Mavericks are looking good, but I still don't think they're Warriors level good. And then when you look at the Celtics, they just beat the team who people were talking about this as an Eastern Conference Finals type series. Well, not many teams sweep the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, but we'll see because their biggest test lies right ahead of them with the Bucs. Uh, not saying I don't believe in the Bucs or the Heat or even the 76ers. Definitely the 76ers the least out of those out of those teams. But I think Boston really does have what it takes to beat Milwaukee and, honestly, to beat the Heat right after that, which who I think will be their matchup. 
Yeah, I mean, really quick, we'll put a cap on this one and then move on to that series that you're predicting the Bucks uh, will win and face the Celtics. But as we said after that game one, Kevin Durant came up short uh, at the end of that first game that really, you know, was looked ironically was the best chance for the Nets to win a game. And we said he's going to have to turn around and carry them, and he did not. Um, in a nice little running three-pointer, meaningless at the end of game four. But uh, as I said, I told you when you picked them and stayed with your pick, they're too star-dependent. If they don't play perfectly, they will lose. And uh, they even play. I mean, Kyrie played a perfect game when, when Kevin Durant played okay. And then Kevin Durant played a, a near-perfect game while Kyrie played okay. And they lost both of those games, those being game one and game four. So just too star-dependent for the Nets. Okay, well, let's move on to the next series. As you previewed for us, uh, Boston Celtics are most likely to face... The defending world champion, number three, Milwaukee Bucks, who lead the number six seeded Chicago Bulls 3-1 to one in that series. Well, both of these games, I'm not going to lie. Not much to talk about. Uh, first game, game three, 111-81 for the Bucks. There is something to talk about, which is the fact that Chris Middleton went out, and I'm not saying, just like I wasn't saying with Luka Doncic, that the Bucks are better without Chris Middleton. I'm not an idiot, but I do think... That for some reason, Chris Middleton getting injured re-energized the Bucks, And after they lost Game 2, the combination of those two things, it really feels like they have their championship energy back. It does not feel like they're the Bucks that played in Game 1 or Game 2 that were kind of slipping up, very inefficient on offense, kind of sloppy. They're back to the Bucks that we know and the Bucks that won the title last year uh, with, with Chris Middleton or not. And frankly, he's not replacing him. He's not a one-to-one replacement. But Grayson Allen, for some reason, has come out and become the second leading scorer for this team. Actually, in Game 3, led the Bucks in scoring and led the whole game in scoring with 22 points on 8 of 12 shooting with on 5 of 7 shooting uh, from 3-point land, too. So Grayson Allen played a great game. Pat Connaughton had 11 off the bench. Giannis had 18, 7, and 9 uh, on 7 of 12 shooting. Bobby Portis and Drew Holiday both shot 7 of 14 from the field. Bobby Portis had 16 rebounds to go with 18 points. And Drew Holiday had 16, 6, and 6 to really just cap off a really easy game, a really easy win for the Bull, for the, for the Bucks, sorry, where they left the first quarter with a 16-point lead, uh, entered halftime with a 19-point lead, extended it by 12 more in the third quarter, and this game was just over. I mean, there's not there's not much to mention on the Bulls side of things. DeRozan was only 4 of 9, couldn't even really get that many shots up. Vucevic was 8 of 17, Levine was 6 of 13. That's not terrible, but overall... They limited the rest of the guys, and the Bucks just played better, uh, played a little bit less sloppy than the Bulls did, and just overall played a lot better, did a lot better on rebounding, and overall, I mean, look, I, I don't have words. The Bucks just completely outplayed and dismantled the Bulls in Game 3, and then Game 4, it was the, almost the same story. The only difference is this time, uh, Grayson Allen did not lead the game in, in scoring, he barely was edged out by Giannis this time. Uh, Grayson Allen again, though, 27 points off the bench on 10 of 12 shooting and 6 of 7 from the three-point line. So getting that kind of efficiency off the bench when you're missing Chris Middleton is a huge deal. And then Giannis took over the game with 32-17-7 on 11 of 22 shooting. He was on. He was the unstoppable force that won the MVP so many times, or that won the MVP. And uh, look, that's who he is. And uh, Drew Holiday had 26 points. Uh, and seven assists. Then you also had Bobby Portis, who had 14 and 10 on six of 12 shooting. The Bucks just straight up outplayed the Bulls every in every aspect. They just played better. 
Uh, they didn't f- shoot free throws well, but they shot over 50% from the field and from three, while Chicago shot 25% from three and 39% from the field. DeRozan shot eight of 20. Uh, Vucevic was five of 14. And Lavina was, was eight of 18. Even though they, they they really got crushed, these they had some positives. I mean, their positive was that Patrick Williams was seven of 13 with 20 points and 10 rebounds as a young guy who hasn't had much playoff experience. I don't think any at all, actually. However, they still lost, and they lost by a lot. They lost by, what, 26 points or 24 points, and that's just, it's too big of a margin. One guy being okay doesn't make that up, and Alex Caruso being injured makes it even worse. Uh, So I don't see the Bulls coming back in this one, especially with Milwaukee getting Game 5 in their home arena. It sucks also that Chicago didn't even make it close in their final return to the playoffs after, uh, what, not being there since basically the Derrick Rose times. And, and you know, they didn't even stay competitive in either of these games. It's just kind of disappointing. Yeah, was, uh, most of the series are not competitive. The funny thing is the most competitive series is the one that we thought after two games is going to be over quickest. Uh, the 76ers and the Raptors, which is three games to two. Although it is the 4-5 series, and we thought it was going to be the, the, big, the closest... From the beginning, however. All right, well, that wraps up uh, the look at the Eastern Conference playoff. Let's turn our attention to the Western Conference playoffs, starting with a close series uh, where we have the number four Dallas Mavericks leading the number five Utah Jazz three games to two. In game four of this series, Utah won 100 to 99. A crazy game, a really fun game. Luka's return to the series. He had 30, 10, and four on 11 of 21 shooting. Uh, every other Mavs starter had double figures. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock, and Dwight Powell all had 11 points. Uh, and Jalen Brunson had 23 points on 7 of 18 shooting, so not his most efficient night. Uh, and Dinwiddie only had 5 points off the bench. So maybe you could say with more bench production and more production from Brunson, Dallas probably would have won this game. But at the same time, Luka hit some clutch shots. Uh, Dallas was up by 4 with, I think, 40 seconds left. And uh, look... Donovan Mitchell got an N1 when they were down 99 to 96, I believe. Or, I, no, 99 to 95. Yeah, they were down four. Uh, Donovan Mitchell got an N1, cut it to 99 98. They fouled Dwight Powell. Dwight Powell missed both free throws and allowed Donovan Mitchell to get the game winning lob to Rudy Gobert. And then Dinwiddie shot a very long three, and the Mavericks did not end up winning this game. Uh, on the Utah side of things, Jordan Clarkson was finally back to his. Six man of the year for him from last year, 25 points on 9 of 16 shooting off the bench. Uh, the leading scorer, actually, for Utah in this game, second leading scorer in the game. Uh, you also had Donovan Mitchell who had 23 points, not very efficient, though. 7 of 21 and 2 of 10 from 3, which is pretty ugly. Uh, but Bogdanovich had 12 and Gobert had 17 and, 10, and 15, I should say. Overall, an okay game by the Jazz, but they were lucky to get away with this one. And then Game 5 got ugly. The Mavericks knew they let uh, Utah get away with one. And in Luka's second game back at home, they did not let that happen again. Uh, They played a much cleaner game. The leading scorer in this game for Utah was Clarkson off the bench again, this time with 20 points, 9 of 15 shooting. Donovan Mitchell was 4 of 15 from the floor, only had 9 points. He was a minus 38 in this game. Uh, And look... You could have said everybody would be the minus category for this team in this game, but uh, look, Utah did not play a good game at all. Gobert had 17-11 on 6-7 shooting, which is pretty good for him, very good for him, actually. But 
basically no one else contributed. Donovan Mitchell had a terrible game. Mike Conley was 1 of 6 from the floor. Boyan Bogdanovich was 0 of 9 from the floor, including 0 of 9 from, including 0 of 5 from 3, I should say, with only 2 points. And look, just not enough from anybody. I mean, 77 points. They shot 10% from 3, taking 33s. You are not going to win doing that. And meanwhile, the Mavericks only shot 28% from 3, 43.5% from the field, but 33-13-5 from Luka and 24-5-4 from Jalen Brunson. I mean, only by themselves. They almost outscored the entirety of the rest of the Jazz, but look, they played well enough as a team. They got 9 points from Spencer Dinwiddie off the bench. They got 13 from Dorian Finney-Smith. They got 9 from Bullock, 8 from Powell. And that was just enough to... Well, I say just enough, but they did destroy the Jazz. I don't really know how this happened. It really just felt like Luka just took over the game, which is exactly what he did. Luka and Jalen Brunson did just pretty much take over this game. That is what happened. Uh, But Utah also failed to get any kind of offensive momentum going. Shooting 10% from three will never win you a playoff game. Yeah, well, this series, frankly, should be over. And actually, I thought it was over. Um, Utah yeah, I looked up and I thought it was 3-1 for a second, too. I kind of forgot that Utah stole game four, but that was why that was why it was essential to steal that game. You have to steal those games at home. Yeah. I'm, you can't go 0-2 at home ever. It, it, uh, great bounce back by Dallas because I wondered what their mentality was going to be after literally they were up by four points with 30-some-odd seconds left and blew that game um, in, in Utah. So a uh, great bounce back for Dallas. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't see uh, Utah find a way to win the series. But then again, they're headed home and – Maybe they win that game and anything can happen in a Game 7. Yeah, but also Luka can happen in Game 7, and Luka will happen in Game 7. They needed to get those games without Luka to have that big lead under their belt. All right, let's turn our attention to the number 7 Minnesota Timberwolves, who are tied with the number 2 seeded Memphis Grizzlies. Two games apiece. Uh, Minnesota won Game 4, 118-117. A lot of good games in this series, obviously. Actually, every good game I could argue was pretty good so far. Uh, Desmond Bain was the leader for Memphis with 34 points on 11 of 18 shooting, 8 of th- eight of 12 uh, from three-point land. Uh, John Moran had 11, 15, and 8, but he needs to score a lot more if they want to win the series, I'm going to be quite honest, uh, and definitely can't, shoot thir- ta- can't take 13 shots and only score 11. Dylan Brooks had 24 points on 10 of 20 shooting himself. Brandon Clark had 15 points on 9 shots. So very efficient from their bench and uh, overall pretty good scoring for Memphis really outside of jaw in terms of the efficiency. They shot 49% from the field, 47% from the three-point line. You would expect to win the game, but Minnesota shot 47% from the field and 50% from three from the three-point line. Uh, and look, they got good production off the bench themselves. Jordan McLaughlin had 16 points on five of six shooting. And their starters were really, really good in this game. Patrick Beverly even had 17 points. Jared Vanderbilt had 12 points. Uh, And then obviously their big three. Well, actually, D'Angelo Russell was the sixth leading scorer. Again, he really has not been great in this series. Uh, But 10 points on three of 12 shooting. But Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards, as they have the whole series, 33 points for Cat on eight of 17 shooting, but 14 of 17 from the line. Got to the line a lot. Uh, And then also adding in 14 rebounds with that. And then... Anthony Edwards with 24 points, 4 rebounds, and 4 assists of his own on 7-14 shooting and 6-6 six of six from the line for him, and also 3 blocks and 2 steals for Anthony Edwards. So, look, it doesn't look pretty on the stat sheet, to be quite honest, but 33, 24, 12, 17, and 10 from your starters, it actually amounts to a lot more points than you would think it does. It's almost 100 just from the starters alone. 
Uh, it's actually 96 from the starters alone. So look, very good production from the starters for Minnesota, regardless of Cat being somewhat inefficient and D'Angelo Russell really not showing up this series. But overall, they're looking pretty good. Uh, and Memphis is also looking good, but Jaws just got to score. He's got to be efficient. He's got to attack. He's got to make sure he keeps getting the free throw line. Three free throws for him when he's 4 of 13 from the field. It's just not going to cut it. Uh, and everybody else needs to stay what they're doing, what they're doing right now. And that is how Memphis will win this series. However, I would like to mention that since we revised our predictions in game one, every game in the series has gone exactly how I said it would. I said Memphis would win games two and three. Minnesota would win game four to defend their home court. Uh, so according to that script, Memphis is going to win game five. Minnesota is going to win game six at home. And then Memphis is going to win game seven at home. However, I have a feeling it won't exactly follow that script, but we'll have to see. All right, now let's turn our attention to the maybe surprise uh, of all these of all the series so far, even more so than that Boston uh, New Jersey series. Number one, New Jersey. Sorry, I'm I'm old. Brooklyn, Brooklyn <laughs> Nets. I was thinking Nets and New Jersey came out of me. It's, it was a while ago. Uh, <laughs> number one, Phoenix Suns are tied with the number eight New Orleans Pelicans, two games apiece. Well, Devin Booker's injury is obviously affecting the series. Uh, Phoenix is 1-2, and two, so in, if you include the game where he got injured uh, in the last 10 quarters, which has been pretty indicative of, you know, when Devin Booker has been out. Uh, he, he They've played, they just haven't played as well. I mean, look, Chris Paul absolutely took over uh, Game 3 along with DeAndre Ayton to help the Suns win 114-111 to 111 and take a 2-1 series lead. Chris Paul played 40 minutes. Had 10 of it uh, on 10 of 18 shooting, had 28 points and 14 assists. DeAndre Ayton played 35 minutes, had 28 points and 17 rebounds on 13 of 20 shooting. Uh, Mikael Bridges played great defense as always, 17 points uh, in 40 minutes for him. So everybody's playing a lot more minutes with Devin Booker out. Uh, but in the end, the Suns are, are, are staying about, they're staying afloat without him. And when he gets back, they'll be back to their form again. I don't know, however, if it will be enough to beat the Warriors when it gets down to the conference finals or even the Grizzlies if it gets down to that. Uh, but I have a feeling that even with Booker out, they'll, they'll still have a chance at beating the Mavericks and probably will. I'm assuming the Mavericks advance, obviously. But if you look at the New Orleans side of this, Brandon Ingram had 34 points on 11 of 19 shooting. CJ McCollum had 30 points on 11 of 23 shooting. Those two carrying this team, keeping it close. And that was a good sign of things to come as New Orleans ended up taking game four. Uh, winning 118-103, to 103, this time behind Brandon Ingram, scoring another 30 points. Uh, he had 30 points. McCollum had 18 points on 8 of 21 shooting. Brandon Ingram was 11 of 23 from the floor or from the field. Uh, Valanchunas, 26 points, 15 rebounds on 9 of 15 shooting. Uh, Herb Jones had some great defensive plays, 3 blocks and 2 steals for him to go along with 13 points. Uh, so everybody played pretty well for New Orleans, and that really helped them steal this game. A lot of production from the bench, too. Uh, multiple guys with four guys actually with more than five points. So pretty good production overall. Uh, and then the Phoenix, it wasn't Chris Paul's game. He had four points only and uh, 11 assists, but was two of eight from the floor. DeAndre Ayton had another good game, 23 points on 11 of 14 shooting, but they just did not shoot well enough as a team. Uh, JaVale McGee went seven of seven on his own, but everybody else was... Not having a great night. Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, Chris Paul, all under 50% shooting uh, and campaign three of 10 for himself too. 
that's they can't win. Phoenix just cannot win doing that. Uh, even though they shot 50% overall, they ended up shooting 67% from the free throw line and 26% from three. So that's just not good enough. Even though New Orleans shot 25% from three, they also shot 42 free throws and made 76% of them. So that's how New Orleans won that game. But overall, honestly, you like what you see from New Orleans considering the fact that their franchise player isn't even playing this season and they're already staying in a series. They're tied in a series with the championship favorites in Vegas. That that looks very, very good for them. Actually, I don't know if the Suns are technically the favorites. I don't remember. But best record in the league, one of the best records uh, there have ever been, especially in recent history. So, look, you look at it, and there's nothing but positives for New Orleans, even if they, you know, everybody will say there's no moral victories in losing, especially in the playoffs. But if there would ever be a team to take a moral victory, it would be this one without their franchise player playing this well against the Suns, although you could also argue the Suns don't have their franchise player either. Uh, But the Suns definitely having to get used to playing without Booker. He's been ruled out for Game 5 officially, uh, but we'll see how this series carries on without him. Yeah, I mean, we were laughing we, we when we revised our predictions about we don't see how New Orleans is going to win a game. Uh, we should have said maybe unless Devin Booker gets injured, but they've, they've responded nicely from that game one blowout where they looked like they didn't even belong on the same floor. So uh, this could be an interesting series. Could go seven games with the injuries. Let's go to a series that's not going to go seven games, I don't think. Uh, the number three seeded Golden State Warriors lead the number six seeded Denver Nuggets Three games to one after Denver uh, fought off elimination in game four. Well, what you should have said is the series is going to be over in five games. Denver's not beating Golden State in, in, in Chase, what is it called? The Chase Center now? Chase yeah. Arena? What do they yeah. call it? Yeah. Uh, I forgot. I, I was about to say Oracle. Uh, but, you know, at least that's a little more recent than the New Jersey Nets. Uh, exactly. But Clay Thompson had 32 points in game four. Uh, Jordan Poole had 11 points on 3 of 10 shooting, so not great for him. Steph had 33 points on 10 of 23 shooting. Uh, Draymond had 13 points. Andrew Wiggins had 20 points. But it was the Denver Nuggets who prevailed in the end with 126 points total, 126 to 121 they won. Nikola Jokic had 37 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists on 14 of 21 shooting, an MVP-like performance. Uh, Monte Morris had 24 points on 7 of 11 shooting. Aaron Gordon had 21 points uh, on 5 of 11 shooting. So overall, pretty balanced contributions for them. Bones Highland had 15 points off the bench. Uh, Boogie Cousins had 10 points off the bench. So pretty important 10 points too. Some of them, I believe, coming in the fourth quarter. Most of them, I think, actually. Uh, So overall, you like what you see from Denver, but too little too late? Probably. Uh, And overall, look, it might be time. It was fun while it lasted, but the pool party might have stayed for one game too long, uh, and it might be time to, you know, insert the original Splash Brother back into the starting lineup, uh, but it doesn't really matter because he's still playing 37 minutes off the bench anyway, but I, it might be time to put the starting lineup back together. Uh, and maybe even, by the way, why not just slide Kevon Looney out of the lineup, out of the starting lineup and just have Steph, Poole, and Thompson, and then... Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green. I don't understand why they don't go with that lineup. I mean, if you look at it, they're the only five players who play above 15 minutes on the entire team, and they all play 30-plus. So it basically is their starting five. It's very confusing to me why they don't just make it their actual starting five rather than kind of a de facto starting five. But look, I'm not criticizing the Warriors. As I said, other than the Celtics, they look like the scariest team right now. Uh, And 
There, you know, give give Denver credit for avoiding the sweep. And you never know, it could end up like what happened with Toronto. They might take game five, steal it, and then we might think that they'll take game six at home. I don't think Denver's home court advantage is as strong as Toronto's, honestly. So I don't even think losing game five would mean necessarily that the Warriors are going to game seven. They could easily win another game on the road. While I'm not so confident in Philly doing that, but overall, I think the Warriors will lock this one up in the next game. But it'll be interesting to see if they do. Yeah, I think the Warriors uh, wrap it up in Game 5 at home uh, very easily. And speaking of wrapping it up, that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, April 29th, where we will talk about Major League Baseball in depth and review the next half week of NBA playoff action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, his Major League Baseball power rankings that will be updated tomorrow, and his NBA Power Rankings that will be published on Wednesday. All of that content is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.